two and a half gods and a goose. Um, in this style of podcast, it'll be either me or Keith with a special guest uh, discussing topics that are a little bit off the beaten path, um, different than our normal uh, Two Gods and a Goose podcast. So today we are going to discuss the Pistons, the most talked about eighth seed in NBA history. Um, with me, I have Lazarus Jackson of the uh, Detroit Good Boys. I mean, Bad Boys. Hey, now. <laughs> Laz, how are we doing? We're, uh, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on what I'm going to refer to as 1.25 GGs. Half it. Yeah, half a two gods and a good. Yeah. Half a. <laughs> oh, well, uh, okay. Half we'll a ca- 2.5. Half a 2.5. Okay, so, all right, fair. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So let's uh, let's just dive right in. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of tweets regarding this, and I just wanted to talk about it. You know, just plainly out in the open right away. Um, I saw a video uh, from at MIA JWRI that this this man was on his deathbed. And he his di- his last dying wish was to get a stripper, and so his his offspring brought a stripper into the uh, in, into the hospital on his last few days alive, and okay. made that stripper a strip for him. Would you do the same for either your for, friends or family? So my only sibling is my younger sister, and so like I can't envision a world in which she would make such a request, and so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with no. But if no. but if the request was made to you, would you do it? Like if if you know, God forbid, one of your family members was, like was on his like on his or her last last breath, and they're like, Laz, I need you to get me a stripper. So this is actually really funny, because my family is like super, uh, like lowercase C conservative, like very religious, like very much like people of like church and stuff. And so, like, they would, like, literally never do anything like this. So by, like, even asking me, you're, like, breaking my mind. So I think, like, <laughs> I think, like, the answer is, like, yes, if my family members, like, ever wanted that, I would give it to them. But there's, like, a 0.0% chance they would ever ask for it. So that's fair. Yes. So, yes. Okay. That's the and I mean, this honestly, this might be the hardest question you'll have all day. That's fair. Um. Honestly, my only hesitation, like I would do it in a heartbeat. My only hesitation comes with the cleanliness of a stripper, um, you know, twerking and stuff in a hospital room. Uh, I'm not sure if it's as clean as uh, well, it's like. Think. So is this Florida? Like what kind of rules do they have about topless versus like bottomless in like Florida? Um, It could honestly be, you know, it could be anything because in, in Florida, anything goes really. Okay. Okay, so, like, yeah, I would do, like, topless, I think that's, like, way easier to get away with, like, cleanliness-wise in a hospital. Like, bottomless, like, yeah, that's, like, I don't think you could, uh, I don't think you could get away with that in a hospital. I think both are not very sterile. Yeah, Um, no, that's fair. But, like, you need, like, an open, like, cut on just the topless for it to be, like, really bad, right? Yeah, I guess. That's true. Or, like, a piercing or something, which I guess is possible with a stripper. Or, like, what if we, like, put, like, a Band-Aid on it? Would that be, would it then be okay? A pasty, some pasties. Yeah, yeah, like that. Some gauze, maybe, on on, <laughs> on all the open crevices. All right, let's dive into uh, <laughs> let's dive into the topic of the week. Um, there is a what's the best word? A polarizing superstar who has just recently become on the trade block. Um, Russell Westbrook of the Oklahoma City Thunder has been largely a disappointment 
um, been to one finals, um, had a lot of talent around him. Maybe, and I guess that's up for debate too as to whether that talent really fit around him after like KD left, after Paul George left. What's left around uh, Russell Westbrook? If that's championship worthy, that's another discussion. But our Detroit Pistons um, ended up in the news somehow. I think Sam Amick had reported that the Detroit Pistons were or had inquired or something along those lines about Russell Westbrook. Laz, do you think the Pistons should make the move and trade for Russell Westbrook? So first off, I want to note the, the old uh, Stan Van Gundy adage is like, if one team picks up the phone and says like, Hey, are we interested? Are, would you interest be interested in giving us this guy? And the other team says, no, like that still counts as, uh, as like talks. Sure. And so like, we don't know the level of depth of which the Pistons and the Thunder have discussed Russell Westbrook. Uh, I personally have been on the uh, no to Russell Westbrook side. Um, not because like Russ and it's got, I think it's gotten twisted that like people think like Russ is a bad player. And like the way I explained it before was that like Russ is like a supremely talented 82 game player, right? Like he is going to come in. It's going to be like a random night in January in Minnesota and, like, it's going to be, like, your third game in five nights. And, like, no one's going to want to play that game. And Russ is just going to come in and be like, no, we're winning this game. And you're like, what? What? And he's like, no, like, we're winning this game. And he drops 40 points in a triple-double. And you're like, oh, my God, this dude's amazing. And then you get to the playoffs, and he tries to shoot 30 times a game and, like, takes it personally that, like, Ru- Ricky Rubio, like, deigns to guard him and, like, lets, uh, lets Donovan Mitchell cook Carmelo Anthony for, like, five straight games. And it's just like... All right, man. Like, it, it, your your stuff doesn't work in the playoffs, like Billy Bean, and so like, yeah, no, I, I I'm not in favor. Plus the the contract uh, is like 170 mil over the next four years. Um, I was talking with some other people because like because we've been talking about this so much over the last couple of days in Pistons Twitter because nothing else is happening. Um, <laughs> is like, okay, well, what That's if what the happens, contract? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like, what if the contract was like two years, 80 million? And it's like, that made me, like, stop and pause. It's like, okay, uh, like, that year, if it's, like, two years, then you get, like, one honeymoon year. And then if he sucks, it's an expiring contract worth, like, $40 million. And it's like, everybody could use some expiring money. And so, like, you could probably flip him at, at that point. But, like, that point's two years down the road. But when that point is four years down the road and you're just, like, stuck with him as, like, this giant albatross preventing you from, from doing anything... Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm less interested, and so no, I'm not I'm not interested in Russell Westbrook. What what what, what about you, Shan? What do you what are you thinking? Well, I, so Russell Westbrook, I think, arguably has one of the the three worst contracts in the NBA uh, right now, and it's so it's it's him, Wall, and Wiggins, right? You know, I I was gonna put CP3 up there too because CP3 is on his decline, and he's still gonna make bank in the next three to I think three years he has left on his deal. Yeah. Because he just signed the extension last year or the year before. The year before, I think? Maybe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very torn on this. I'm also leaning towards no. Um, and I, I, am, I think the hesitation for me comes with the contract. I think the player, like I, I had tweeted this today, um, if, if, if Russell Westbrook had Reggie Jackson's contract, he would have been traded twice already. Oh, um, yeah. So I, 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 he's a good player. It's just for that money, I think here's the question that the Pistons need to ask themselves. For the amount of money that they're going to invest in Russell Westbrook, 
is he going to catapult that roster, which is going to be gutted to actually acquire Russell Westbrook to make salaries match and everything like that? Is is whatever remaining plus Russell plus Russell Westbrook good enough to be a top three team in the conference at least? Because at that because if you're making a deal like that for a contract that size, you need to be at least at that level. And I don't think they are. Because I think there are, there are at least two to three teams better than the Pistons at that point. And, and, and I think it really comes down to depth. Because when you add Russell Westbrook onto the Andre Drummond contract, onto the Blake Griffin contract, there's very little money left over. You're inevitably going to be a luxury tax team. And I just, I just don't know if, if you can trust, you know, in this world where Russell Westbrook is your starting point guard, where Kyrie Thomas is getting 15 to 20 minutes a, like a night. Or Svi is getting 15 to 20 minutes a night, and you're supposed to be a top three team in the East. I just don't see that happening. I think good teams are built off of depth and not stars. Yeah, I, would, I mean, when I was game theorying this out this morning on Twitter, and you told me to stop to save it for the podcast. Yeah, well, um, here you go. Yeah, here we go. Uh, it was like, okay, so you trade for Russ if you don't include Snell, which you can't right now because it hasn't been 60 days That's since right. you traded for him. Um, so you're trading like Thon and like Langston and like some other stuff and like and pretend. Yeah. yeah. And Reggie pretend like Sam Presti knows what he's doing and makes you include Luke Kennard in there. And so you're like, okay. And so your, your roster is basically like Russ, Derek Rose, um, Svi and Bruce Brown, Seku and Svi, um, Blake and uh, Morris and like Andre, like now you don't even have like enough money to go get a backup center. Like you're just like done. Right. So you're hard you're hard capped with like twelve players under contract. Right. So you're just like you're you're kind of screwed. Um and then next year, you like even though Josh's Josh Smith's money comes off the books and everything, like you're still into the luxury tax. So like granted, okay, it's like all right, you're uh you're at like hundred and thirty mil in salary and you haven't done anything yet, and like you still need to fill out the rest of your roster because um like Tim Frazier's no longer there and stuff. It's like okay, cool. And then twenty twenty one when uh andre like exercise he he exercises player option last year he looks around and be like i don't want to play with russell westbrook anymore like every other person who plays with russell westbrook Mm -hmm. and then he leaves and so you got russ blake griffin four dudes on rookie contracts and that's 93 million dollars in salary so like even if the cap like goes up to like 120 you need like another you got to split 30 million between like seven other dudes on the roster and you got to hope that like you made like the Eastern Conference Finals somewhere in there, and then like right. guys actually want to come and play for you right. because like otherwise, that's just going to be like a bunch of kids that aren't ready right now, or a bunch of like vets that the actual teams who are championship contenders like didn't want, and so it's like no, this it just you're once you trade for Russ, this was a problem when we were talking about like John Wall and to a lesser extent uh, Mike Conley. And to like a, a much much lesser extent, Kyle Lowry is just like it, once you make this trade, like that's your team. Like you're you've completely like locked yourself into this team, and so it's like you're very highly dependent on like how good that team is. And like if it's not a top four team in the East, which you know um, between Milwaukee and Philly and uh, Brooklyn, whenever KD gets back, and I really like what Indiana's been doing. Yeah, I like Indiana like there's, too. There's no guarantee, and so it's like well, if you lock yourself into 
a, a five seed in the East, is that really like how much better is that than like locking yourself into like the seven seed in the East, like functionally, right? It's like not, it's not that much better. And, and, and also before the wheels came off and like on Blake Griffin, this team as constructed was a six seed. Yeah. So like how much better if you add Russell Westbrook in spite of all those, like in spite of his contract and you're, you're gutting the roster for him and you're only a, a fifth seed or a fourth seed at best, is it worth it at that point? And the answer to me is no. Um, now, if if Russell Westbrook was a Anthony Davis or a, a, a like a player that's top three, top four, top five if. in the league. If Where, Russ was Steph, like you'd do this trade right, 100 of course, times out of 100. In a heartbeat, because that kind of player can 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 make up for those gaps. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of I'm nodding. Where, you can't see me, but I'm nodding. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so that's my that's my issue. Um, I think people are getting enamored with the name Russell Westbrook. Um, he's a polarizing player, so of course you're going to get people on both sides. I think it's important to look at it rationally like we have. Um no, but and like one, again, yeah. we like we didn't say like Russ was bad, right? Yeah, he's like, not we didn't bad. Say, he's not bad. He, like twenty twenty twenty, like like very clearly, like there is value in being like an, a supremely productive NBA player. Absolutely. But like the last time he made it out of the first round, he had Kevin Durant as a teammate, mm-hmm. and so it was like that. That was a long time ago, and so it was like, does Russ guarantee you the playoff success that? you're compensating him like he does like that's an open question we don't know and so like you you know if you can't guarantee that if you're not if he's not a good enough player to guarantee that you you you're you don't have to make that trade there are other dudes there are other disgruntled superstars well on that note um let's kind of change gears here um there was a question that was kind of posed on twitter uh i didn't like the way it was worded so i kind of changed it um to kind of be a little bit more interesting so out of the two russells russell westbrook and d'angelo russell which would you rather trade for Ooh, see i like this uh so like this is an open question right because everyone agrees that d'angelo russell is going to be traded it's just like a matter of when that's right and uh there's also like some dispute about the uh fraudularity of d'angelo russell's all-star appearance last season Yep. Some people don't think he's like actually like good enough to be an all star. Um, there's reason to believe that like maybe in like a normal year, like there's no way he's going to make the Western Conference All Star team. Like we, we can just say that pretty clearly. And so it's like, okay, well, how how good actually is D'Angelo Russell? And like now he's making what like twenty two, twenty one million or something. Somewhere I think in that he year? just signed the four year one fifty or one forty or something like that. Was it that much or was it like one seventeen? That's what I, I yeah. We, I'm gonna look real quick, but uh, but yeah, like I I think that Russell, like D'Angelo Russell, is probably a safer bet to perform pretty well, like over the life of his contract. He's more likely to perform up to the level of that contract than than Russell Westbrook is. Okay, so D'Angelo Russell, yeah, I signed for four one seventeen. That's so that's 27 mil this year going all the way up to 31 mil in his age 26 season, which is 2022. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Actually, that's a good point. Maybe Russell's probably not worth $30 million in, in 2022. But he's – like if you think about it, like Russell Westbrook will be like a 
he'll be a 40s he'll make 47 million dollars and he'll be worth like 15 or 20 it's like d'angelo russell is making 31 million dollars and it's also worth like 15 or 20 it's like you're much less underwater on the contract right and so like, yeah i think i think and you know it would cost less probably in terms of assets to trade for d'angelo russell like you wouldn't it wouldn't cost you a first round pick it would like it wouldn't cost you like at the like we're pretty sure the warriors are looking for like players they can use that like also like get them out of the uh, out of like luxury tax hell right sure and so yeah there's a and so if you have some expiring contracts they'll they'll take those on and, and eat those and be fine right and so yeah no i think i think d'angelo russell so this is the part where we make it clear d'angelo russell is not a better player than russell westbrook but the the gap in the contract like eats up like the the talent disparity as well and so it's probably and you know it's also probably easier to trade for d'angelo russell at the point in time at which he becomes available which is like uh december 15th or whatever right and so yeah i think i think you would rather i think you would rather trade for d'angelo russell yeah right okay so so here's here's my my take on it i I think if you trade for Russell Westbrook, you know exactly what you're going to get from day one. Uh, you know you're going to get a guy who is one of the better point guards in the league who can put up a triple-double on any night. You know that. You, like You know that it's him. He has reached his prime, and by the end of his contract, he will have left his prime. So I think w- when you trade for him, you're, you're banking on immediate success. I think with D'Angelo Russell, if you make that trade, which I, I actually disagree, I think it would cost more ac- more assets to get D'Lo than it would Russell because of the contract. Um, but I think with, with D'Angelo Russell, you have a chance. If you if you make that trade, you have a chance of this guy becoming a, a guy who will live up to his contract. There's a good chance he may not, but there's also a good chance that he will. He's only 22. So by the end of his contract at 26, he will either be just entering his prime or we will have realized that this guy, the, this past year was a fluke and he's making way too much money and he's dead money like Wiggins. So it's just whether the Pistons are willing to take that chance. And I would prefer to, to trade for D'Angelo Russell and primarily because he fits around Blake better. Because at this point, if you trade for D'Angelo Russell, it's not his team. It's Blake Griffin's team. If you trade for Russell Westbrook, I love Blake Griffin, but it really becomes the Westbrook show. Yeah, that's true. So I, I... I think D'Angelo Russell fits around what they're doing better than Russell Westbrook would, but I do think, I really do think they will, he will command more assets than Russell Westbrook would. Because when I first heard Russell Westbrook was on the block, I was like, oh crap, like now OKC with all these picks that they received from Paul George, I thought they're going to have to attach one or two to it like, to get him off the books. And that actually may be the case. We don't know. Because we hasn't, because no offers have been floated out there, just interest out there. We don't yeah. know. So the fact that he hasn't been moved yet, in spite of that talent, makes me think that they'll probably need to incentivize to get him off the books. So I don't know. I would rather choose D'Angelo Russell at this point, but I think Russell Westbrook is clearly the better player, without a doubt. But yeah. D'Angelo I mean, Russell yeah. may live up to that contract, and that's what I'm banking on. Yeah, I mean, you made a good point in that, like. If you trade for D'Angelo, it's still Blake's team, and if you trade for Westbrook, it's Westbrook's team. Yep. Because, uh, like you could, like you can, like D'Angelo is such like a better like catch and shoot player. Like you can put the ball in Blake's hands, 
and like have D'Angelo Russell still be a threat, right? If the ball's in, if the ball isn't in Russell Westbrook's hands, he's like no longer a threat to do anything on offense. And so, yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, I don't know about, I I don't, I don't know about the, the trade disparity though. Like, uh, I'm like, because everybody knows that like the Warriors don't like actually want D'Angelo Russell. Like, I don't know how much it's going to cost. I don't, I don't think it's going to cost that much to like pry them out of there. And plus like by the time we can, he, they can, he can actually be traded. We'll have like 20 games or so of uh, like them playing together. And so we'll have a much better idea of like whether or not this works or not. And if it, and if it doesn't work, like a lot of people think it won't, then like, yeah, it'll be easier to trade for him. But maybe if it does work, maybe if like, I don't know, like Curry and Russell, like, share the ball a bunch and like Steve Kerr, like mine wipes D'Angelo Russell into being like a more um, to, like into driving all the way to the rim and like getting free throws and stuff. Then like, mm-hmm. uh, then like he's a more valuable player. And in that case, like you would need to trade more for him. But like if Russell is the same player he was last year, just like next to Steph. So he has the ball less that makes him less valuable. So he doesn't So yeah, like, I, I mean, yeah, I just, I just don't, I just don't think it would, cost as much as you're thinking it would cost to to trade for d'angelo russell and sure. like we, and, and yeah we and we've said this like three or four times but like russell westbrook is a better player than d'angelo russell we got to right. say that every single time because yeah because you'll get the guys like, in our mention saying like oh well les and sham think that russell westbrook sucks and d'angelo russell is better that's nah, not nah, the nah. case not the case not russell the case. westbrook is very good at basketball speaking of a player that half our fan base thinks sucks let's let's talk about andre drummond um how do you value – this is actually one of the questions that came from Twitter. How do you value the role of a traditional center like Andre? So this is a really interesting question, right, because it's very clear that the the NBA as as a whole has started, like, devaluing traditional centers, just, like, guys who are pick-and-roll dive men who, uh, like, anchor defense and block shots or whatever. And like, But, like, the reason they were doing that, right, was because of this – this influx of like switching defenses to attack the Warriors because the Warriors didn't have a traditional like back to the basket center that needed defending. And instead they played like Draymond Green and Kevin Durant as their bigs. And so like you needed to be able to attack those guys. Well, like that team no longer exists, right? Like now the, the best team in the league has two excellent wings. Sure. But, like, they're also, like, going to play a nominal big man in big man in crunch time and, like, one of Harrell or Zubats or whatever. Okay, so and you like, think the Clippers are the best team in the league. I, 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 just, I, I just wanted to see what, where you were going with that. Right, right, right. I mean, like, and the Lakers, the Lakers have Boogie and AD, right? Like, they're going to play big men, like, some of the time. Mm-hmm. The, the but both Portland those guys Charlotte, can shoot. Both of, I mean, like, but that doesn't mean that... Like if you, but if you go small on those guys, you get crushed on the glass in the playoffs. Yep. Right. Like that was that was the thing uh, Toronto found out in in the Philly series was like okay, like Abaka was like their small ball center, but like Abaka like could not handle Embiid at all, despite the fact that like Embiid shoots threes. Right. Like like you, in in the playoffs, he just decided not to and just decided to like crush Abaka in the mid post. And so like okay, well. Um, like get Marcus Saul back in here. We need a guy who can actually defend a post player. And so like, but my main point is like, because the Warriors death lineup is like no longer a threat. Like, I think we're going to start seeing like big men play like a, our larger role in, in the NBA as a whole. You see 
all the playoff teams like have like regular centers. Portland has Hassan Whiteside, right? Like Houston has Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah has Gobert. Like Go- OKC Gobert is has Adams. Okay, uh, is OKC still a playoff team? Mm. Mm. Last year they were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there you. That's the correct. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, like the Nets have like DeAndre Jordan, they they spent a lot of money in a lot of years to to sign DeAndre Jordan, mm-hmm. right? Like too much, uh, too much probably. The the Magic have Vucevic, right? Um, the Toronto but Vucevic like, is a guy that that our fan base brings up as a guy that is better than Andre simply because he can shoot, right? But I mean, Andre has. I looked up their head to head numbers actually the other day, and like Andre's outplayed him uh, a bunch of the time. Um, yeah, but they don't look at head-to-head numbers when they bring up these stats yeah, and talking yeah, I, points. You know I, that. I, I know. But, like, but just, like, keep going down the list, right? Like, Milwaukee has, like, Brooke Lopez, right? And Brooke Lopez, like, started shooting threes, like, two years ago and has gotten really good at it. And, like, that that breaks the D. But, like, in a playoff series, like, their center is actually Giannis, right? Like, that's who <laughs> that's who the Bucks were, like, using as their, like, big man most of the time while they, like, used Lopez as, like, a perimeter spacing. Um who was third? Third, yeah, uh, Joel Embiid. Like, you need a guy who can guard Joel and Joel Embiid, and like, like Jordan Bell, like can't guard Joel Embiid, right? Like, my, it, I think we're going to see the pendulum swing back a little bit to a uh, more towards uh, quote unquote like traditional big men, and so like I, I think of Andre Drummond as uh, very valuable, but not max player valuable, right? So. What kind of contract do you think Andre Drummond gets on his next deal? Like how how many years? How many dollars? Shamik. Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Okay, so yeah, so that was actually my next question because he uh, he has that twenty eight million dollar player option next summer. Um, so this will be something to to talk about in terms of like an extension at this point. If, if they want to go that route. I am comfortable with a $25 million per year extension because that kind of falls in line with what Vucevic got. And I think at this point, they are him and Vucevic are around the same level of production. Andre may have a little bit more upside. I'd be okay if they gave him a little bit more than that. But I definitely don't think he's max contract worthy. Um, I'd probably wouldn't even go to the $28 million level that he's going to get if he opts into that player option. So the number that I've been thinking is like four years, 110 million, but like flat. So that's 27.5 flat uh, all across each for each of the four years. Right. So that's like, all right. So like, this is what we think you're worth. It's more than Vucevic who we know you think you're better than because of the Instagram posts and stuff. Right. Um, however, like that's not more than like what Embiid is making or what Gobert is making or what Carl Anthony Towns is making or like what all these guys who are, you know, because they're better offensively are better than you or more versatile offensively or, or better defensively. They're, they're better than you. Um, so like, that's a, that's like a fair deal for, for Andre. Um, sure. So like, that's, that's the contract, like. And that's like the max I'm prepared to give him. Like, if he wants like four one twenty, like no, like that's that's thirty mil a year. Like, no, we we can't do that. And yeah, so, like, no. yeah, I'm I'm definitely out on that as well. I yeah, I would say between twenty five and twenty eight is reasonable. I think when you start to go above that level, it starts to get 
to like, okay, Andre Drummond needs to be like an impactful player, like beyond what he is right now, like impactful in more than one facet than just rebounding. Right. If he's like an all NBA defender, like an all, like if he's a first team all defense kind of center, then I think I would, then he's probably worth a little bit more than what we're, you know, right. you have throwing to be, you out have there. To be, you have to be dominant on one end of the floor, offensively right. or defensively. But right. like the thing, the other thing is with Andre, like the best guard Andre has ever played with is like the 2015 version of Reggie Jackson, mm-hmm. and so like that has probably hindered the offensive ceiling of Andre Drummond um, to an extent, right? And the best defensive player Andre Drummond has ever played alongside is like who, like Stanley Johnson. And so, like, if you were able to build a roster that was, like, a little bit more, I would I would build a roster that was a little bit more slanted towards, like, defensively mind, defensive-minded guys who could shoot, like, more, um, more Bruce Browns, but Bruce Brown can shoot. So, that's not so a Tony example. Snell. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, Tony, <laughs> like, if Tony Snell was, like, better at defense, right? Fair. Like, like he's rangy you, though, so he has his he has potential on that. No, end. exactly. Like, like Seku was like a great pick because of this, right? Like, that's the that is the type of dude who, like, if he hits like his like seventy fifth percentile like outcome, like that's the t- kind of guy like you want to surround Andre Drummond with. And so, like, Andre, my thing has always been like Andre Drummond. The Pistons have failed Andre Drummond, and Andre Drummond has failed the Pistons. And so, like, if if you extend him, like you gotta do you gotta do better by him in order to like make him play up to the level of that contract. And so, yeah, like I, I value Andre Drummond at 27 and a half million dollars a year. That sounds like a lot of money and it is, but it is not to the level of the best centers in the NBA, which I think is fair. That's fair. And then also one other thing to, to consider is that if you are signing him to an extension, I believe Blake comes off the books either that following year or the year after. And so, it's essentially Andre Drummond as your as your second best player possibly once all that money comes off the books um so it you're 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 paying him for the production and you want him to be better than he is now right to to either outperform that contract that you signed him to in the extension or to at least live up to it so right. it's a risky proposition if you think that he's not going to be uh any better than he is now and he's only 25, I believe, right? Either he turns 26 in like he turns 26 in like August, I think. Okay, so he'll be so okay, so 26. So uh, like he's still he, got room to grow. Right. Well, I mean like but like how much can he grow is like That's the, question, the question, right? Like I don't yeah. I don't think he has like that much more to grow. But like with that said, right? Like if you surrounded him with a better with a better like team defense, like he improved by he improved like visibly on defense last year, right? Like he finally got comfortable defensively. He improved visibly from an effort perspective last year, right? Like um, he like he didn't pass the ball as well as he did that one season when uh, they decided to use him as the hub of the offense and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like like last year was like one of the best years of Andre Drummond's career, and so like you know if you get that guy if you get that level of production or like slightly better every year for the next five years, if you get that every year until he turns like 29, like, and you pay him $27 million a year for that. Like, I think that's fine, especially with the cap going up. That's fair. 
So say, say the Pistons decide, all right, I'm not going to extend Andre Drummond. If he opts into his player option, so be it. But before that even happens, let's trade him. Laz, what is your best Andre Drummond trade? I had you fire up the trade machine. We, we talked about it on Twitter. Um, have you come prepared with your Andre Drummond trade? So we were asked to come up with an Andre Drummond trade to the Boston Celtics. Yes. And like that. That's a hard like, team. Now. That's a hard one. I, yeah. I, I couldn't really make that work. So Unless it's for Gordon Hayward. I don't see any other way. Yeah. And I don't, really want. And I don't, and I don't want him either. So, yeah. So the way I've thought about this in the past, right. Is like, okay. If you're trading Andre Drummond, if you're giving up a, up on a 26 year old all-star center, um, you're doing it to rebuild, right? You're doing it with the knowledge that like, okay, when Blake's contract's up, like he's gone. And so you're building for the future. And so what you want is um, you want uh, first round picks in the future past beyond when uh, Blake Griffin's contract expires. So you want like picks in like 2023 and like beyond or 2022 and beyond. You want uh, at least one really good developmental uh, big man to replace him. And you want like want you want and you need like salary you need somebody who's making the like you need somebody who's making like 17 million dollars or whatever it's going to take like uh fix the trade so that it actually like works and so what i've been so like a guy a big man that like really intrigues me is uh like wendell carter jr like i would really love like i would i think like that guy is a stud i think he's going to be i think he has defensive defensive uh player of the year upside and so, and Chicago has like been desperate enough to to like show that they're fa- show their fans that like they're doing stuff to uh, <laughs> to like make an impact that like we we don't suck anymore like we're spending money and so like if you were to trade Andre I would be interested in a package of like Wendell Carter Jr. some like twenty twenty two twenty twenty three first round pick and um, like some salary that's on chicago's books like i can go look at chicago's books right now and like tell you what tell you what it would take but like yeah it, I, that that is what i would be just some equivalence in. Out. like would you yeah, take back like, zach levine in that point yeah I would, that'd be fine i mean like i don't think zach levine's that good but you're but, just yeah but you're just trying to equate salary right at that point yeah so yeah well so like no instead of like zach levine because like presumably they would want to pair zach levine with andre drummond right like okay. that would be like they're like pick and roll pairing so you'd take like thaddeus young and like uh like Thaddeus Young, Wendell Carter Jr. and like uh the expiring contract of Cristiano Felicio, right? Mm-hmm. And like maybe because Felicio sucks, you need two first round picks. Like that's not, that's not terrible. That's not terrible. You turn Andre into a guy you hope can be as good as Andre, two shots at an impact player to put alongside that guy and two first round picks. Um, Thaddeus Young, who can help you win in the meantime, and like is a guy Blake Griffin would like to play next to, and uh, Cristiano Felicio, who makes seven million dollars in two thousand and twenty. <laughs> Fair, okay. That's yeah, so, like, that's yeah. interesting. So just like yeah, just like off the cuff, that is that is the kind of deal I would be interested in for Andre Drummond. What about you, Shim? So I think you've taken one route, like the rebuild route, um, which is that's fair, but I think. I think it's still important if you do end up trading Andre Drummond is to remain competitive in the years that Blake Griffin is still a Detroit Piston because it, 
whether he, Andre Drummond is here or he's not, it's still the Blake Griffin show, and you're still trying to be as competitive as possible with him on the roster. Um, so uh, there has been – so I was looking, just doing some research today. There is one playoff team that has consistently ranked in the bottom three in rebounding, in virtually every rebounding metric, rebounding percentage, rebounding totals, rebounding per game, defensive rebounding, like, re- defensive rebounding percentage. Um, and that is the Houston Rockets. And I think a package uh, of Clint Capella and Eric Gordon for Andre Drummond could get it done. Because Clint Capella, he just signed that five-year, $90 million contract like around this time last year. So he's making between 15 and $19 million between now and 2022-23. Uh, so that's immediately at least $10 million cheaper than Andre Drummond would have been. So you're saving money there. Um, and Eric Gordon is an expiring next year so eric gordon is still a, a, a contributing player um and can shoot that's a, a player that plays the two can fit around blake would be uh a, a, a he'd be very good i think around blake as well and clint capella isn't that much of a drop off from andre drummond it's a drop off indeed but i still think clint capella he's still young he's still he's still a i would say a positive player on the court um, and I think that would be an even trade. And then Houston then remains competitive with Andre Drummond and continues to run out the Chris Paul contract um, while trying to compete in that tough West. Yeah, I I don't dislike that. Um, that would be that would be really good for Andre Drummond because Absolutely. like he's he's never played with a guard as good as James Harden, and he's got and two of be, them. And I, and I would be really eager to see like the kind of numbers off, uh, offensively Andre Drummond could put up if like James Harden was just throwing him lobs every third possession. Mm-hmm. Like that would be great for him. Um, but by the same token, I think Clint Capella is a guy who is not as good as his stats would indicate because of the presence of James Harden. Right? Like I don't. I think Clint Capella is like replacement level well not i think he's better than replacement i don't think clint capella is that good i think andre drum is better than clint capella of course so, but that's why he's 10 million dollars cheaper yeah yeah that's a good point that's a good point but he's also he's also t- like 24 right 20, yeah i think he's the same age. i think he's a year younger than andre drummond okay so you still so, have yeah, time I, then so like yeah to yeah, develop. So, yeah so yeah you're, you're on like and so when is capella's deal up 22 23 okay so yeah yeah you've like and he's not even making 20 million in that last year yeah. So and, then you still so, have flexibility and room to sign other players around them. Yeah, and like, and okay, Eric Gordon's no, yeah, expiring. I, yeah, yeah, so. Eric, and and so like maybe you bring him back, maybe you don't. But like, yeah, okay. No, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. But it's Would a different. You, uh, it's a different uh, method of yeah. of trade. Like you've gone the rebuild route. I've still remained competitive while clearing up space in uh, in twenty twenty when essentially everybody comes off the books for the Pistons. Um, right. So, yeah. So it's just okay, it's no, a yeah, different yeah. style. Yeah, different flavor. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, I that is that is really interesting to me that when you were like looking at like which teams are getting like killed on the glass in the playoffs that like Houston came up because like Clint Capella is supposed to be this amazing amazing rebounder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm. I think it's more of a team rebounding issue for over them, but I it think Andre Drummond would make up for that. Too. Yeah, yeah, no, true. definitely, that's true. Okay, so let's uh, let's hop into free agency. So the Pistons signed uh, a, a, a few players. Um, to help bolster their roster for the upcoming year. Um, let's go one by one and just talk about the role, expectations, thoughts on the contract, and whatever. 
So the first one, it wasn't a free agency signing, but it's still a new player to the team, a veteran, Tony Snell. What do you anticipate his role is going to be, and what are your expectations for him in his first year as a Piston? So I anticipate his role will, like, Tony Snell will be playing the role of Reggie Bullock, essentially. Hmm. Right, like, guy, guy who comes off Blake Griffin handoffs and shoots threes. Uh, occasionally takes two dribbles um, and shoots, like, a... 18 foot or like a 15 footer instead of a three, but like guy or Wayne Ellington guy who guy who comes off Blake Griffin DHOs and shoots lots of threes. And like Snell can absolutely be very successful in that role. He was, he was good for, uh, for the Milwaukee bucks in that role before he was replaced by somebody better. Right. Like it wasn't that like Snell was like terrible. It was that like they, they traded for Nikola Miritich and like played him in that role instead. And so, like, yeah, Snell. I think Snell's fine. Snell is he makes eleven million bucks this year, and he's got a player option for twelve million bucks next year, um, which is why Milwaukee traded him because uh, he's probably not worth like twelve million bucks. He's probably close, worth closer to like six or seven. But like, since the Pistons traded John Luer, who was like ten million dollars worth of dead money for Tony Snell, who will like be in their rotation and only be like four or five million dollars worth of dead money like that was an unqualified win right mm-hmm. in my opinion absolutely and so like yeah i was i was perfectly happy with it with the tony snell trade interesting i so i see so how i think tony snell will be used in the same way that gr3 was supposed to be used like he's not necessarily going to come off of dho's I, I i i just feel like he's too big for that i i don't think he'd be as agile as reggie bullock was maybe i'm wrong but I think he's going to be that knockdown corner shooter, um, that guy who, if Blake Griffin needs, you know, needs some help, passes out to the corner and he hits an open three, or he hits a a, a three that, like at the at the top of the key. But I think his expectation really comes on the defensive end. He needs to be a good defender. He needs to help with that perimeter defense, which has been porous for the past two seasons, um, and I think him paired with Bruce Brown is an immediate upgrade on the perimeter defense, uh, like on that front. It kind of makes up for Reggie Jackson's limitations on that end. Um, and it also helps on Andre Drummond, because I think Andre Drummond gets a bad rap for being a bad defender or being a bad rim protector um, on the help side when his guards are basically olaying people, you know, just allowing them to get to the rim at ease. Um, and, of course, the big man looks looks bad in that situation. So that's that's where I see him. He needs to at least shoot 35% from three. Um, but I think his he, he's gonna make his money on the defensive end. Uh, I see what you're I see what you're going for. Yeah, I mean like, and the other thing we've seen from Bruce Brown in summer league, right, is that like, if you run like those like side pick and rolls where you like lift the big man after like doing some stuff on the mm-hmm. other side of the court, like, and he makes a cross court pass, and like you need guys who can make down who can knock down that shot, and like Snell can absolutely do that. Yep, and GR three was not that guy last year. Yeah, and they and they hoped he would be, and he just, he just wasn't. I was I was a big part of that hope. I'm not. I, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta take some blame on that one. I think but we yeah. all wanted him to be, you know, good. Yeah, I mean, of course. Who wouldn't? I mean, who would have thought that he would have been bad? Right? You come off yeah. a season where he's shooting some crazy percentage from the corners. You're like, wow, this is the perfect fit, and he just wasn't that guy at all. Yeah, I mean, like, I, and like, honestly, I think he got into his head a little That's bit, fair. and yeah. like, and it kind of spiraled. Cause like he was brought in to, sh- to make shots and then he wasn't making shots and then like he wasn't so 
and like he knows Casey prefers defensive guys and he's not really a defensive guy anyway. And so like he's messing up on defense, like Andy's not hitting shots. And so like, yeah, I can see how he'd be in his head about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. But yeah, no. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I agree that Tony Snell's going to be like valuable. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I he think you're right be. in that. Yeah. He's not like, I think you're right in that. He's not like as agile as Reggie Bullock, but like, yeah, um, the athletic writer for the Bucks wrote like a thing about how he was good coming off DHOs. Interesting. So yeah, go find that. Yeah, I will. Okay, so uh, let's move to another polarizing player, uh, Derek Rose. What are your immediate thoughts on that? Because I think a lot of people are very happy about Derek Rose being on this team and are excited about his three-point shooting uh, ability that essentially was newfound last year. Uh, do you think that is sustainable going forward? Or I guess what are your just general thoughts on that? No, nah, I'm I'm pretty sure the shooting is a mirage, right? Like he shot like 50% for, for, from three for like a month. And then like the other months he was like around like the 30% threshold. And then like uh, it completely fell off at the uh, in the second half of the year. But like you can explain that by saying like he had an elbow injury, which he did. And so like maybe that affects like 12 and a half percent after that elbow injury. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So like, do I 37% three point shooter? Like, no, I think it's like the 3% three point shooter, which is still to say like, he's still probably better than Smith. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Darius is better than Smith. Um, for one, he like actually gets all the way to the rim and finishes. Um, I think I saw that he shot like 65% on shots at the rim last year. And then he shot like a pretty like good number of, sh- of his shots at the rim which is, like, something the Pistons, like, desperately, desperately needed. Somebody who could attack all the way into the paint and like, and convert. And so, like, in that way, like, he's uh, more useful to a half-court offense than, like, Ish was. Um, my main concern when we first signed Derrick Rose is, like, man, Derrick Rose is going to come in and, like, ISO and, like, barf up a bunch of 18-footers that don't go in and I'm going to be mad. And then, like, I, like, I have a bunch of games on my hard drive of the Pistons that, like, I just rewatched, like, refresh my memory of the season. And so I was watching a couple games, and I was like, man, Ish Smith just, like, comes in and, like, barfs up some 18-footers yeah. that don't go in sometimes. And so I was like, well, I mean, like, if Derrick Rose does the same thing as that but, like, finishes at the rim better, like, I guess I can't be too mad at that. So I was like, yeah, Der- Derrick Rose is is probably going to help. Um, but, like, the other thing, like, swinging the pendulum, like, all the way to the other side were the people who were like, yo, this dude is the MVP. He's better than Reggie. He's going to start right away. Yeah. And, like, he's going to play all 82 games. And, like, you guys are going to, like, be sorry. Everyone's going to be sorry they didn't sign <laughs> Derrick Rose. It's like, come on, guys. Like, chill out. Like, he's 31. Like, he he didn't finish last season because of a season-ending ending injury. Like, no, it wasn't his leg or ankle or whatever. But, like, still, season-ending injury. Hasn't played 70 games in, like, God knows how long. Like, like chill, chill out on the Rose train. Like, he's going to be good. But, like, he's not going to be great, right? Right. Yeah, and I, I agree with you for the most part. Uh, you know, he's he's going to be a guy that is that spark plug off the bench um, in a way that Ish Smith was. But I think Derrick Rose is a better, uh, like a better version of Ish Smith where he gets to the rim, like you said. Um, the three-point shooting, I really don't know what to make of that because, yeah, he did shoot well for, like, three months. But then after that elbow injury, it really fell off. And – we haven't really seen him since then. So is that elbow injury going to impact his shooting going forward? Who knows? Will he ever get back to that three-month period that he shot, you know, 40-something percent? I don't know. So it, it, there are a lot of question marks when it comes to Derrick Rose, but I think the 
the clear consensus is that at a very minimum he'll be a better version of Ishmith, which is exactly what the Pistons needed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, and the uh, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say the other thing is like it's like if he is like a thirty-five percent three-point shooter, like a little bit better than I expect, and like that's amazing. passable. Like that's amazing, and it's also like not completely unsustainable, and. It allows you to do things like bring Luke Kennard off the bench and have Derrick Rose like be an adequate spacing threat for Luke Kennard. Like they can space for each other, which yep. makes both of them better. Agree. There's like little stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. But I think the one the, the one negative, so there's actually actually two negatives to to Derrick Rose. One, I think defensively he'll be an issue, um, and two, I think he has a little bit of tunnel vision, where if he's sharing the floor with a guy like Luke Kennard or another shot maker. I don't know if he's necessarily going to find the right and open man. I think he, he tries to force things a lot at the rim a lot of the times. Um, and I just, I hesitate because Ish, Ish was a guy who almost passed to a fault where he had mm-hmm. the open lane and he still passed it out. Um, and I think Derek Rose is the opposite of that. Um, so I'm, that's something that I would like to see in the first few weeks of the season, if he can actually find the open man after driving, because the, the, the defense will inevitably collapse on him. So I'm just curious to see whether he can make the right read after that happens. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And something I like really hadn't considered that much. I mean, the other thing we should mention is the injury, right? Like the injury potential, Yes. like, uh, by signing Derek Rose, you have, uh, two point guards, your backup and your starter who have been uh plagued by injuries in the past Mm -hmm. and so like that that opens you up to being plagued by injuries in the future at a position that uh is really important in today's nba yeah i mean can you imagine if both reggie jackson and derrick rose went out for an extended amount of time and the pistons are relying on bruce brown at point guard or who would even play point guard at that point that'd be our next free agent signing tim frazier but uh, yeah yeah, I mean, so anyways, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not not, great. not like a not like a great long term thing, right? But like, you can get away with it better yeah. better than Jose Calderon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So I I guess on that note, Tim Frazier, what are your expectations for him? Uh, that he's better than Jose Calderon, and that <laughs> if if uh, and like, hopefully you get to the thing where it's like, okay, if Reggie and Blake or Reggie and Derrick Rose like both don't play uh 70 games like hopefully they don't miss the same 20 games because like then you're like really screwed but it's like okay well reggie misses 10 games and like uh derrick rose starts and tim frazier papers over that and then derrick rose misses 10 games and reggie starts and uh tim rose or tim frazier uh papers over the backup spot Mm -hmm. it's like just his job is to just like yo just give us like it's like if somebody gets hurt give us like 15 to 20 minutes of like quality uh, NBA backup level guard play. And like, I'm pretty sure he can do that. So I was pretty happy with it. And like, it's a one year deal at the minimum. Like how, how bad could it be? He said ominously. Yeah. Well, those words may haunt you by the end of the season. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll but see. yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you for the most part, like Tim Frazier, his job is just to come in and not be a negative on the floor. That's what I expect of him. But at, at, at that amount of money, that's, really all you can expect of him he's not going to come in and like light it up for 40 points a game he's not going to be a point god where he's finding you know he's diming people up it's not going to happen he's a solid minimum player and that's what people should expect out of him 
and like he's and like the other thing he has over Calderon is that like he's young, right? Yes. Like the reason Jose fell apart is because he's thirty seven years old, and you shouldn't expect a guy who's thirty seven years old to be able to contribute at an NBA level. Like right. Tim Frazier is like twenty seven or twenty eight or something, and he should be able to like be competent. And so like yeah, it's fine. I mean like and. He's just like preventing the Pistons from like turning to like Bruce Brown as their like emergency backup fourth string point guard, or like calling up Jordan Bone on the two way and being like, "Hey, just like bring the ball up the court right. for ten minutes a game." <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. All right. So Markeith Morris. So Markeith Morris is a guy that I did not think the Pistons had a shot at, and so I was pleasantly surprised that he signed for the biannual exception. Um, Keith was a guy who um, was pretty effective in Washington before uh, Washington fell apart from like a chemistry perspective and an injury perspective. Like Wall tore his Achilles, and then they traded out of Porter, and then um, Keith got uh, he hurt his neck, I believe, and his numbers were like way worse after he hurt his neck. He was like terrible, which is understandable, right? Like a neck injury is like not something that like you you want to like rush back from. Right. But it was, a, it was a contract year for him, so I get it. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, uh, he's allegedly, like, a, a stretch big man. If he if he shoots, like, 35% from three consistently, I'll be pretty happy with that. Um, he offers you, like, a little bit of, of toughness. I know the Morris twins kind of pride themselves on being, like, real tough dudes. And so, like, it'll be nice to have that element um, coming up off the bench. Um, he can switch between uh, backup five and back up four with with thon mm-hmm. like i'm not super jazzed about a morris thon front court but like it, it is what it is at this point um and i think like in a pinch the other nice thing about it is that like he was a starter last year and so like if you can run into a situation where blake griffin goes down for 20 games like he can start capably at four for for 20 or so games and like be okay in that role you won't have to rely on thon maker for those 20 games and like i think like that in and of itself is like worth the three million you're paying him for this year. And so like yeah, I like I like the more signing. Like this is the the common theme running through all the piston signings is that they're all like C plus to like B plus like level signings. They're solid. Like yeah, they're very solid signings that like none of them are home sh- runs. There's they're just solid. They sh- they shore up areas that the pistons had trouble with last year and they make and they're short term deals. Like they're all like fine. Right. So just one one last point on Markeith, um before we move on to summer league, um, I think that last point you made is the is how he'll make his money. If Blake Griffin goes down for an extended amount of time, or Blake Griffin gets the inevitable load management, Markeith Morris is not a bad drop off from that point. And in fact, if he's able to shoot thirty five percent, that's a great compliment to Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson and the whole pick and roll. Um, I, I I really like that that signing i thought he was going to go to a contender um maybe he did who knows maybe the pistons are contenders but uh, yeah um but (laughs) but yeah i i think it was a smart signing like you said a c plus to a b b minus b whatever um all these signings are solid you're not going to expect a lot from these guys but they're going to like you said shore up areas that the pistons were weak in yeah, like Keith seemed like destined to like be a Laker, right? Just like come off the bench for the Lakers, That's what shoot thirty five percent from three, and like yeah. just like not screw up while LeBron wasn't in the game. And so like I, now he can, now he can do that for Blake Griffin. Yeah, that's yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and 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 I think just another thing is I 
I think he's like a solid veteran presence. Like I think all these guys, Derek Rose, Markeith Morris, Tony Snell, they're all solid veterans. That's, you know, if we look at the roster as a whole, there's a lot of young guys that are being counted on to perform at a high level. And I think the, having these guys around is going to be a positive influence in all of those guys. Yeah. In the and same like, way Blake Griffin was when he came like to the team. Yeah. And like last year they tried to get like super veteran experience and like Jose Calderon and Zaza Pachulia, but like they needed those dudes to play. Yeah. And that it was, was like, no, yeah. yeah, that was the problem. So it's like, now you get okay guys who are vets, but like who can actually play still. So, yeah. But okay. So this last thing. So there is about 1.8 mil. I believe that you had tweeted left before they hit the tax. Uh, what do you think the Pistons do with that 1.8 mil? Do they go out and grab a backup big, or what do you think happens? So I think backup big is probably the 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 thing that they go out and grab. Um, that's the last like big spot left on the roster. Again, like I don't have that much confidence in Thon Maker. Like maybe the coaching staff has more confidence than I do in Thon Maker as a backup big man. But um, like Thon either needs to be. He needs to pick one. He needs to either be like way more impactful consistently defensively, or he needs to shoot like forty percent from three. Like one or the other would be great, but like you, you can't you can't not do one of those two things. And so like another backup big man, like a true center who could uh, slide Morris to the four. And so like you have the option of sliding Morris around um, as opposed to just like making him like solidly the backup five next to Thon. Um, and so and like yeah, I was I was. Uh, I was a little bit surprised actually, because uh, when I like was originally looking at the Pistons cap sheet, I thought they were done. I didn't think they had any more uh, space under the tax to add a guy. But like, no, that one point eight um, actually like allots them enough space for another minimum guy. Yep. So like exactly what are, what are, minimum, yeah. Yeah, basically. Like, what is so? What are some of the minimum big guys you think the Pistons should look at? Well, uh, my opinion is they should leave it open uh, going into the season and see what happens, because um, you never know like what's going to happen. Like, say. Like, say, uh, like, you know, Reggie Jackson goes down for the season, then you're probably going to need a third point guard at that point more than you would a big. So I, I think you leave that, that position open, that amount of money available, just in case something happens down the line. But if you were going to use that space for a backup big at this time, I would like them. There were a few names, and honestly, they're all bottom of the barrel at this point. It's late in free agency. A lot of the players have already signed. Um, I think, like, Costa Kufis would be a solid signing for the minimum. Joakim Noah would be an upside signing for the minimum. Um, like it's just very difficult because there aren't that many options left. Like Tyson Chandler, he's thirty-seven years old. I don't know. Um, yeah. Any yeah. any names stick out to you? So yeah, Joakim Noah is the guy that uh, I keep coming back to because he is. I think he's thirty-four, so he's like a little bit on the older side. But uh, like and he was decent it, in Memphis last year. He was he was decent in Memphis last year. He hasn't played that much over the last couple of years because because of injuries. But like because of injuries, he's been like rehabbing and like he has less wear and tear, I think, on his body mm-hmm. than um, than like a guy who's been playing this entire time. And like yeah, he was legitimately impactful as a defender in in Memphis last year. I think that would be and like that would be a really good like mentorship guy for for Andre to have. Like Andre's at that stage where like he is becoming the vet. But, like, still to have, like, an old head above Andre who's, like, no, like, remember that time I won Defensive Player of the Year? Like, I still know what I'm talking about. You should still listen to me. Like, having that guy in Andre's ear I think would be very useful. And, and I think he's intense. Like, Joakim Noah's an intense guy. So, you know, like, at practice or even in the games and stuff, he's going to be in Andre's face. He's going to play. He's going he, he, to have a lot of energy when he's on the court. 
even in Memphis, you saw like, yeah, he was a little past his prime, but you saw he had a lot of energy. He was, he was, he was an impactful player emotionally on yeah. the court. And yeah. I think that matters. Cause I think that's the one thing Andre Drummond gets the biggest knock about is not, ha- not showing that emotion or not really having that, that extra gear that he should have. Um, and I think Joakim Noah would help with that. All right. So let's, uh, let's hop into summer league. Uh, couple of storylines to follow in the summer league. Bruce Brown, um, Dwayne Casey made it known that he wanted Bruce Brown to step in and play point guard more. Um, he has been decent. In my opinion, he's fouled a lot and turned the ball over a lot. But he has shown flashes of being a decent point guard. But it's also summer league. Uh, so, Laz, what do you think? What do you think about the, the point guard Bruce Brown experience? So, I think he's been a lot better than decent. Um before the game yesterday against Indianapolis, um, he hadn't like fouled that much or anything. Like uh, Aaron Holiday coerced him into a bunch of uh, BS fouls, but like no, he's had I think he's had like two assists a game and like he's almost like at like eight assists a game you know, through three games and like so like yes, it's summer league. Like yes, these guys are like all like not great NBA defenders, but like he's been making. He's been like his his passing has been like a legitimate um, like Im- improvement, and it's at the level where I like that is the thing that enables you to think like okay, even if he hasn't developed as a shooter, like you can get away with like putting him into the starting lineup because if teams play off of him, um, he can do the thing where like if if this guy's not anywhere near him, he has an, a really great first step, he can still like collapse a defense with that first step and then pass out as opposed to just, like, um, not having the confidence to shoot and, like, not having the confidence to drive or pass. And, like, that is, that's where he got stuck a lot of time. Like, you could, you could see the, like, record scratch happening uh, in the Pistons' offense a lot of the time last year. And so, like, I think getting his confidence up, getting him uh, more experience, like, with the ball in his hands to make good decisions and, like, he's made good decisions for the most part has been, um, like, really – that's been the story of Summer League for the Pistons is that, like – Bruce Brown like can contribute offensively without like improving amazingly as a shooter. And so like if he ever improves as a shooter, like now you like legitimately have like something. Like you've you've got like a really good player in the in the second round of the, of the draft. Like I know you're a brown guy cuz he went to Miami. I'm um, also a brown guy. So like what like was he was he like an amazing passer at the college level? Like I didn't watch him all at he, all in Miami. So he like he had flashes like it's he actually played very similar to how he did it with the Pistons the first year where you're like, can this guy play point guard? Mm, he's doing some interesting things that are kind of point guardy. Maybe he can. Let's try him out. Let's not. I don't know. Like it's, it was that he was never a true point guard, but he showed flashes of having that ability. So I think a lot of the scouting reports when he came out of school was he may be able to be molded into a point guard maybe not right it just uh it depends on the system that he's in the, the coaching that he has and it's clear that that Dwayne Casey sees something in him otherwise they wouldn't have even made that comment and had him play point guard in the summer league um but so I I don't know I'm on the fence with this because I think he's he could be a solid like he could be solid in what he is exactly if he just shoots better um he could be the best defender on the court and shoot 35%, he would be a lot like a lot more impactful than he is now. Um, but 
summer league has opened my eyes a bit to his ability as a point guard and I don't know if I'd really trust him with the ball just yet, even at a backup level. But maybe. Yeah. Maybe he'll I mean, be there. Yeah. The thing with me is like I don't think he's a like starting or backup point guard because of his handle, right? Like yes. he he can't like he can put together like some some like good moves. Like he did that in against Portland, but like against consistent pressure, like I I don't think that would that would work very well. But like as a combo guard, as a guy who's like guarding the other team's best um, best guard mm-hmm. and who's like attacking out of like side pick and rolls like decisively and making pa- and making plays out of that or or scoring at the rim because of his first step like I think he that'd be a really effective player and so like knowing that for him like him seeing that like oh like I can make good reads out of the side pick and roll like oh I can I can get all the way to the basket and finish like well and like he's he's improved as a finisher he talked to james edwards in vegas about like how he looked at like film last year and he was taking off from like too far away from the rim and so they like clean that up a little bit he's taking like one more dribble and like that's made him a more controlled finisher and like just just little stuff like that i think like literally just like linear improvement is making bruce brown into like a more useful and effective and like starter quality nba player yeah, I agree. And and uh, even if he doesn't shoot to the level of, you know, like a let's say he never shoots 35%. I think right. he could be effective in that exact way where he's he's making good plays with the ball in his hands. Um he'll be the best defender on the court. Um and and he'll be able to attack the rim. I think the one thing that Stanley Johnson like he he was never a good shooter. He was always the best defender on the court. I think the one thing that did Stanley Johnson in was his ability to not really finish that well around the rim in spite of his size. And yeah, I think like, Bruce Brown, if he can do, if, if, if he can dunk on people, if he can finish around the rim really well, I think he'll make his money like that and he can be a starter. No, absolutely. Like Stanley's Stanley's lack of like vertical athleticism uh, is like what really like killed him in the half court because yeah. you're right like he could he could attack a closeout but like because he couldn't because he like didn't have a great first step he couldn't like force a defense to like rotate and so like like Stanley's best skill offensively was his like passing right mm-hmm. and so like but like if the defense like didn't care if he had the ball or not like and he had the ball in his hands and like he couldn't finish and he couldn't shoot it's like okay well he's driving to pass He's driving to use his best skill. Like, let me just guard the pass instead of the shot. Right. And like that just like really like limited his effectiveness. Yeah, exactly. So another uh, second round pick from last year, Kyrie Thomas, um, in my opinion, has looked very good in the summer league. Um, he, uh, he's been very productive. He's, you know, I think in the three games, he's probably been the most effective offensive player on the court. Defensively, he's looked good. Um, but like I always say, it's summer league. So, is his production sustainable in the NBA? And if so, so what's his role? Yeah. I mean, like, we know what his, his role is, like, 3 and D guard, right? But, like... Thank I, you but, for saying that, because some people think he's a point guard, and I really am against that idea. So I was I was team Kyrie could play some point guard until this summer league, where it's like, okay, like, maybe we, maybe we abandoned that ship. Uh, he got... Uh, they tried to do some of the same stuff they did with Bruce, where he's running, like, side pick and rolls, and he got... Uh, ripped up and he just he doesn't have the the first step Bruce does and so it's a little bit more difficult for him so like yeah okay maybe he's like an attack a closeout and shoot an 18 footer guy not like mm-hmm. attack a closeout and get all the rim guy sure but like no to me this is funny like 
I've been way more impressed than Bruce than you are, and I've been way less impressed with Kyrie than you are. Um, yeah, Kyrie's had two. Uh, he's had two good games and one bad game. Um, his his bad game was like all of his weaknesses like combined into like one single game, like an inability to finish at the rim, um, missing a bunch of his threes, um, being like a pretty good defender, but um, not guarding the teams the other team's best player anyway, like they left that duty to Bruce. And so like his, his on ball defense was like kind of a little bit wasted. Um, but his good games, like he's made his threes, uh, like spot of threes and off movement threes, which is like good to see. Um, he's gotten out in the open court a little bit and like made and made layups and like transition and stuff. Um, he's been, uh, like a really just solid spot up option. And so like, I think, like, there's this idea that, like, Kyrie should have been getting, like, Langston Galloway's minutes last year. And, like, that's probably – and, like, from Summer League, we can tell that, like, that's probably not the case. He probably, like, wasn't ready as both a shooter and a defender. And so um, I think, like, Kyrie needs, like, a little bit more, like, from, from like, a ball handling perspective before I'm, like, comfortable, like, inserting him into the lineup on, like, a full-time basis. Like, right now, the – position he plays would be like backup shooting guard and like I want Bruce or I want Bruce or Luke Kennard being my backup shooting guard right like I don't need Kyrie I, Bruce or Kyrie's worse than both of those guys and I want I want both of those guys in that position right now and so like um so yeah I would, like that's where I'm at with Kyrie right now I think Kyrie Kyrie might be like I like Kyrie I think he's got like a future in the NBA like definitely um Kyrie might be trade bait in like the not too distant future. Like no no yeah, sources I was just or anything. About to just say that. Yeah, pure speculation. But like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like out of the two guys, Kyrie Thomas and Bruce Brown, I think Kyrie Thomas would appeal to other teams more than Bruce would, simply because he can shoot. Yeah. Um, and I think teams are willing to take that chance. And I think him and also the other guy, the other um, quote unquote rookie that you know. Uh, that from from last year that played Svi, I, I I think those two guys are more or less trade bait at this point. Uh, I want to just change gears and talk about Svi real fast. Um, I really haven't been that impressed with him, and it seems like the fan base and analysts are kind of split. Cole's Wicker, um, friend of the pod, he talked about Svi, and he was not he was not very impressed based on his summer league performance. But I've seen that, like at the same time some fans saying that wow, this dude looks awesome. He could play point guard for sure. Um, he shoots very well. And I I don't know. It's summer league, and he really hasn't wowed me. So, so I don't know. What's your what's your opinion on that? So I think, like, the Svee point guard experiment is dead. Like, I don't, I definitely don't think he can <laughs> yeah, play we, point yeah, guard. Agree. Um, but, like, I think he has shown that he's, like, a pretty good, like, He's a good passer for a wing player in the NBA. And so, like, that's a useful skill to have. And, like, you should want to, like, keep developing it. And, like, that's why he's playing point guard in summer league so they can, like, develop his passing ability. Um, But, like, his value is always just going to be in that he can shoot the crap out of the ball. Um, Like, every time he shoots the ball, like, you think it's going in. And he's got, like, really good range. In the first game against Croatia, he took, like, a a DHO from – Utah, I think the the uh, I don't the, know his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the guy they, they brought in for summer league. Yeah, he took he took a DHO from him and pulled from like twenty nine feet and like nothing but net. And you're like, okay, like if he does that, like Svi like absolutely has a place in the league because there aren't 
that many dudes in the league who can do that. And if you have one of those guys that bends defense and that like that that's really useful and opens up things for everybody else. And so like what I what my frustration has been is just been like yo just like plant V in the corner and just like have him shoot these like just just do that. But it's just trying to stretch his game and stuff. And so um, you you understand why like he's not being as successful as I think he would be in a more like reduced role. And so like. I'm just thinking of like all the open threes that like Langston Galloway missed last year. Uh, shout out to Eli on uh, on Pistons Twitter. He like actually like looked up the numbers and like Langston Galloway was shooting like sub thirty percent on open threes last year. And just like all right, if you just gave Svee all of those threes, like the Pistons are just, like instantly a better team. But I think Svee's role for this team uh, in the future is like you know just a guy who comes off the bench, uh, comes off the bench, spaces the floor, occasionally like makes a nice pass out of a DHO or like attacks a closeout and like uh, gets to the rim he's like he's uh he's pretty athletic um but he needs to jump off two feet and not one and so that limits like how versatile he can be athletically but like you know if he if he gets space and he gets time to load up he can he can finish through some guys but like yeah no if he's just a dude who comes off the bench and like shoots 38 percent from three on a crap ton of attempts and like shoots the occasional like 28 foot three and that like makes the defense take that extra half step out of the lane that gives Derrick Rose the ability to blow by and like convert layups mm-hmm. like that's supremely valuable and like you he should be playing and so like yeah like Svi has not like super duper impressed me during summer league but like he's functionally like I think he I think he can be a functional piece of the rotation next year that's fair um I'm gonna so I'm gonna give you a very like disrespectful comparison for Svi like when I watch him and I like think about the way he would play if he were in the rotation with the Pistons this season. I just keep thinking of like at best he would be Kyle Singler, <laughs> like he, uh, just a guy who can shoot. But that's just about it, you know. But like I remember, like Kyle Singler's like shots not even going in though, right? Like that was well, he shot he shot nearly forty percent with the Pistons. Did he really? Yeah, his oh, first yeah. season shot thirty five percent. Second and third season, percent. Um, he was traded and he shot. Um, uh, 40%. Man, I like, I like never remember Kyle. When he was OKC, that's when it fell off. Okay. Okay. But yeah, no, I mean, yes, that, that (laughs) guy, it's a disrespectful comparison, but (laughs) that is so like, it's so I like the, the 2012 version of me who's just like, get this bum Kyle Singler off the floor at all times is like mad at you right now. (laughs) But like, yeah, if he just like comes in and like makes a bunch of threes, like like Kyle Singler apparently did because I'm old and my memory is playing tricks on me. Then like, I had to yeah, look that, that one up too because uh, that guy's valuable. Like I like I just saw. I mean, it, maybe it's like because he's white kind of thing. I I don't know, but like just like I I was like, damn, this guy like reminds me of like Kyle Singler. And then I like, went and looked up like Kyle Singler stats. I'm like, yeah, he could be Kyle Singler. <laughs> Oh, man, that is that is so disrespectful. But yeah, like yeah, if he yeah if he comes off the bench and shoots. Yeah, thirty-eight percent from three on like four <laughs> attempts a game. Like right. I'll totally take that. Exactly. Oh my god, that that makes me feel like icky inside. And, but, like, and Kyle yeah, Singler you. was a big shooter like that too, six eight. Could could shoot off movement. Could shoot yep. could shoot spot up shots. Like yeah, yeah, no. It's a right. disrespectful comparison, but it's pretty spot on. I think. Yeah, it really is. Uh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so before we kind of wrap up, let's kind of talk about um, the elephant in the summer league room that has not actually played yet. Uh, yeah. Seku Dumboya, what? What about him? You just give me your like thirty second, forty five second, just thoughts on him. So without ever seeing day, him play, 
the day of the draft, I was so excited to that a that the Pistons took him because if you remember, he was considered like a top ten pick. Yep. And it was uh, like outside the realm of possibility that the Pistons would ever pick him. I thought he'd be a wizard. Uh, yeah, I thought he would. I also thought he would be a wizard. And then they took Rui Hachimura, and then Phoenix took Cam Johnson, and then you're like, wait, what is happening? Fall, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I was so happy, and then uh, to see him play, like, I think because he's so young, and because he's only been playing basketball for like six years or however long he's been playing basketball, he's got so much room to grow. But I think he's also got like a fairly good baseline, uh, like from which to grow from. But like, I'm so I'm so mad that they that I haven't been able to see him play. Right, right. like. The the longer the Pistons last in uh, summer league, like after tomorrow's game, I think they'll have like the summer league playoffs, and like every team will get at least like one more game, I think. And so like if the Pistons keep playing like they have been playing, they'll win. And so like I'm thinking like the longer the Pistons like keep playing, the like better chance I have for the coaching staff to be like, all right, like we can't like BS it anymore. Like his hamstring's fine. Like yeah, he can play. And so it's like I can get finally get my look at him. But um, but yeah, like I'm really I'm really encouraged by Svi because Seku. um, or set by Seku, sorry, because uh, he's a wing-sized wing who, uh, in time, you hope will be able to play defense and shoot and like create and be like a terror in transition. He's super athletic already. Um, he's super long. He's got a really good wingspan. There's a there's like video of him and Bruce Brown like fooling around like during practice or in like they're shooting against each other and like Bruce Brown they're like they're fooling around but like Bruce Brown is having like legit trouble shooting over him and you're just like oh like if this dude applies himself like he could be a problem but like that was the question coming out of uh, France I wanted to say college but like he didn't go to college uh, it was like what's his motor like right like does he apply himself consistently like is he always paying attention but like to me like. He's like, he's 18 years, he's 17, 18 years old. Like, of course he's not always paying attention. He's an idiot. Like, but in four years when he's not an idiot, like he's going to be really, really good at basketball. And so maybe, maybe, no, I mean, I I am really, really confident that Seku will be at the like absolute basement, like a rotation NBA player. Oh, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, that's not really a hot take. I mean, but you don't make but, that draft no, like that, pick. that's like his absolute floor right like he he's not gonna bust he'll he'll never be a bust because he'll always be six nine and like able to shoot like there's always like a, a there's always a room for a guy like that in the nba that's fair and and i, I think from from day one if he if yeah, this he is, gets this, rotation, is a, this has been the question i will i i think from 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 day one if he does get rotation minutes um, which I actually do think he will because I think Casey uh, emphasizes defense more than anything. Um, I think from day one, at the very minimum, he'll be able to defend and be a terror in transition. Whether the shooting materializes, whether his court awareness materializes, that's a different story, but that will come with age. But I think at the very least, I don't think you need to be a veteran to learn how to defend. I think that comes naturally, and I think with that size – and the way he moves from the limited stuff I've seen online, it seems like he's he he understands that how to how to you know stay in front of your defender, how to play help defense. I think he understands those things, um, and of course he knows how to run and he knows how to dunk. 
So I think with those two things, I think he will be at minimum a defender and a transition threat in 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 in, in the NBA right one. away. In the yeah. NBA right away. Yeah. No, so so like the thing with Seku, right, is like so last year when Bruce Brown and Kyrie got drafted, we were both everyone was like, okay, both of these guys are second round picks. Like they're not going to see the floor because like we have enough shooting guards. Like why did we draft two shooting guards? Maybe one. Maybe Bruce is a point guard. Blah blah blah. But like Bruce Brown ended up playing. Uh, like he ended up starting like fifty-ish games and playing the fifth most minutes on the team because he defended his butt off, right? Like not not because of his offensive con- contribution, but because he defended his butt off. Like if Seku like sees that and like the, again, dude who's been playing professional basketball since he was fifteen has like no issues doing what coaching staffs like tell him to do. And like if the coaching staff and like Dwayne Casey's gonna tell him, if you defend your butt off, you're gonna play and he wants to play, like I'd see no reason why like he won't be at least like a really good like effort defender and like will acknowledge like that's how he gets rotation minutes. And so like there's like definitely the possibility that like he's in the rotation next year. I mean like it's probably because he's either a three or a four, it's probably a thing where it's like so like some nights he's uh, some nights he's like guarding stretchier fours if he's like defending his butt off. Some nights uh, Svi is out there because they need the perimeter spacing. Um, like some nights, you know, maybe his effort level wanes and like he's out of the rotation for a little bit, just like just like Bruce Brown was early in the season. Mm-hmm. But like, no, if like. Like, that guy has been playing professional basketball since he was 15. He's been under, like, super demanding European coaches who, like, don't actually care about you because, like, it's Europe and, like, they're just trying to win games. And he's gotten playing time and he's played well. And so, like, he has no issues listening to a coaching staff that's telling him, if you defend your butt off, you'll play. And so, like, I feel very good about uh, whether or not he plays this year. And, like, that's the thing that's really been frustrating me because, like, a lot of people saw that so first things first a lot of people didn't expect that and i'm guilty of this a lot of people didn't expect he would be there on the board at 15 and so they didn't do their homework like i am also guilty of this i did not really do my homework on seku until he was a business draft pick because i assumed he would uh he would be gone but it's but because he's so young and because he's didn't because he didn't go to college it's really easy to be like okay like so he's just raw and he won't play at all and he's a developmental prospect and then you like and then and like if you didn't do your homework you can stop there and be like okay this guy sucks he's not gonna play mm-hmm. he's not gonna play right away but like no you like investigate he's like okay no like he's been playing since he's been playing pro basketball since he was 15 he's picked up the game incredibly quickly and like he learned how to shoot last year and has always been like an impactful defender it's like no okay like that guy sounds like he can play right away like there's no There's no reason why there's nothing like, especially for a team that's like starved for wing depth, like the Pistons are, there's no reason why like Seku can't get minutes in the right way. It's not like Tony Snell is like so amazing that like he's going to like cut off Seku's minutes, right? Like if, if, uh, if the Celtics had taken Seku and it's like, okay, like, well, we've got Jalen Brown and and, uh, Jason Tatum and uh, uh, Semi Ojale and like Gordon Hayward and like all these other dudes ahead of you, like you just need to like sit on the bench and like learn for a year. Like, I would get that. And, like, that would make sense. He would develop and he'd, he'd be pretty good because Brad Stevens is a good head coach. But, like, on the Pistons, like, his competition for minutes is, like, Zvi, who, like, I like. But, like, 
So he's not like standing. He's, he wasn't in the rotation last year. It's not like he's like solidly standing in the way of like anybody getting minutes. And like Tony Snell, who is like a rotation quality NBA player, but like also who like fell out of the rotation of the best NBA team in the league last year during the regular season because they found somebody better, right? Like there's no, there's no Grant Hill or like there's no uh, there's no like Kawhi Leonard like blocking Seku from getting minutes. Right. And so, like, he if he it's defends, wide open. That, yeah, if that, he, that if he defends, is wide open. If he defends, he'll play. And, like, he knows that. There's no reason to think the coaching staff won't tell him that repeatedly. And so I have every confidence that he'll do that. And so, like, we'll get, we, we will get a look at him. We, I'm pretty sure. I'm very confident of that. Shout yep. out to everybody who told me that, like, like no, this kid like isn't gonna play like right away. Like no, like he's gonna play right away. I bet. There you was guys. a certain radio station uh, that uh, I was. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about them. I was thinking about a uh, a Twitter user who shall remain nameless because I think he's a little pissant. <laughs> you can just at Ben like at Quagsport. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing that I had pointed out at the draft. Um, was Sean Sweeney is the assistant coach for the Pistons. He he coached, uh, I believe, one or two summer league games already. Mm-hmm. Um, he is credited with finding and developing Giannis to what he is today uh, before we had poached him from the Bucks. And so I think if you look at the comparisons between Giannis, who is a Greek prospect, and Seku, who is a French prospect, and their similarities in body types, play styles... Uh, the emphasis in their games and in terms of like defense, uh, Seku is a much better shooter than Giannis was coming out of uh, out of Europe. Um, I think Sean Sweeney has a has a blueprint or a roadmap for for what for how to develop this guy. Um, and so I and also Dwayne Casey has the blueprint for how to develop a guy like Pascal Siakam. So I think with these two with these two guys, I really am happy with this pick and it's not like we drafted this guy and didn't have any roadmap for him. These are people that have done this before. And I think he's really in a good spot. No, and, I, a hundred percent agree. No, keep going. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so is he, even if he doesn't play in year one, I think that's okay. I, I expect him to play in year one, but if he doesn't play the minutes that people expect, then so be it. Just know that he's in good hands. He's in really good hands. So yeah, that's, I mean, so yeah, that's my he's, that's my take. No, on that it. that is that is an excellent point, and I will say that like the other thing to remember is that like when you say that you're not saying like yo this guy's gonna be Giannis no. because like it's uh, that's an unfair expectation to place onto any 18 year old, um, but like you look at the development work that was done with Pascal Siakam when he was like and he played like more than one year in college and like he came to the NBA when he was like. 22 and so like the development work that he needed to do like he was much further along in life and they like brought him up to speed and so um so like with a guy like seku like he's getting that nba development experience at a much earlier age at a much uh earlier like point in his life and so like there's reason to believe that like he could improve uh even more rapidly than like a pascal siakam did and siakam's a guy who like literally won most improved player last year and has like elevated himself into like a top 
35 NBA player. I don't know. Like I, I don't need I to sit down and like make, that. But he's yeah, a, he's a he was a contributing player on a championship team. Yeah, a guy who dropped thirty, like thirty plus points in a finals game, and like no one batted an eye. Well, right. some people batted eyes because they were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" But right. it was like, "Yeah, like no, like this is not shocking." And so, Absolutely. like getting that development curve um, at an earlier age, I think will be really, really good for Seku long term. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, like, I was so like before the draft, it was like, "Oh man, okay, okay, are we, is it is it Romeo Langford?" Isn't Nikhil Alexander Walker? And I wasn't happy with any of those picks. It's like, oh wait, no, like it's it's the youngest kid in the draft who like plays a position of need, and like also can shoot and like defend. It's like what what it was like, literally like a gift from heaven that like this kid fell into your laps, and yeah, so like absolutely. and the and the front office knows that. It's like you gotta you gotta make sure this kid works, and and they know that. Yeah. No, absolutely, and and yeah, it was a, a a gift that he just fell in the laps of the Pistons, and he's the perfect player. That you know, a lot of people, you know, you know, poo poo the Pistons for selecting the safe pick in Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell, and this is exactly not that pick. This is a risky pick. Yeah, if Stan he doesn't Van Gundy turn out, does this not is make this pick. Oh yeah, no, of course not. But this is a front office that knows that hey. It, to compete with Blake on the roster with a very limited amount of money to spend on free agents, not being a free agent destination in itself, you need to take chances on guys like this that in three years from now, if, they, if he's even a starter, that's huge. And then sky's the limit from there because three years from now, he's only 21. So, you know, it. yeah, there, there's a lot of room to improve from here. Um so, yeah, I'm very excited about that pick. Um, it sounds like you are, too. And I think the majority yeah. of Pistons fans are with us on that one. If only we got to see him play in Vegas. Please, I, I just give me, like, 15 minutes. I want to see this kid play. Yeah, I would love to see that, too, especially with the size disparity. Because, I, I don't know, when I look at the Pistons versus, like, other summer league teams, I feel like we're much bigger than them. Yeah, that's not that's not a terrible observation. Uh I think it's more that like what I've noticed from the Pistons is like because they're featuring so many like second year players because they're featuring like three second year ball handler slash three point shooting guys in uh, Bruce Kyrie and Svi like a lot of teams just like aren't used to like these teams are cobbled together they're not used to defending uh, like very tightly and so like a guy like Bruce Brown who has a first step that can beat like NBA quality defenders can like definitely beat NBA summer league defenders. And like that mm-hmm. collapses the defense and like that just causes like all sorts of havoc. And so like, yeah, the, the Pistons summer league squad is like uniquely suited to be really good in summer league. Yeah. And I tweeted this uh, either yesterday or the day before, but I remember a team in Detroit that went four and in the preseason. Oh, I saw this and I was so mad at you. Like, <laughs> and how, how they performed <laughs> in the regular season. <laughs> uh, but anyways, mm. thank you last for coming on, on the inaugural episode of two and a half GG. Um, no, yeah, plug th- your, thanks for having me. Plug your stuff. Uh, so, uh, my Twitter is last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, I host my own podcast. It's called the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast. Um, you can find that wherever you find 
podcast that's apple podcast spotify stitcher whatever whatever you're listening to this podcast on you can also find the detroit bad boys podcast on can you find it on iHeartRadio? uh i think you might be able to yeah i'm just kidding i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i write for detroitbadboys.com which is the uh, sb nation detroit pistons fan site um that is it's one of the best places uh on the web for like pistons talk We've got like a great group of commentators and stuff and uh, a, like a lively discussion board at all times. Like currently we're just like debating Russell Westbrook over and over and over and over and over again. So like that's been uh, not as fun, but like normally we're, we're a pretty great bunch. And uh, yeah, uh, shout out to Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah. So Laz has actually agreed that I was right and it's actually Hakeem Ofrajuwon. No, 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 um, no, 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 that's not at all what, what I've I already said. stopped recording, so it's okay. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, we're still recording. <laughs> oh man, okay, I'll give you 30 seconds on Hakeem. Go for it. All right, so Hakeem, uh, you say he's fraudulent because he won two rings without MJ, right? Yep, you say KD is fraudulent because he joined the Warriors and that made a super team, right? That's right. All right, so count my counter is like, is Kawhi's ring fraudulent because Kevin Durant never like really played the whole series, and because Clay went down in the deciding game six with the Warriors like in the lead? No, because Kawhi didn't join the odds-on favorite to win the title, uh, and then made that team better. No, but I mean, but the Warriors, but he, but the the team he beat was not the odds-on favorite because they didn't have Kevin Durant. Well, that's not my right fault. Kevin there. Durant had calves of paper. But, but I'm saying like it's everything is so circumstantial, right? Like of course, it, Hakeem did not like force Michael Jordan to play baseball for two years. He just yeah. like took advantage of it, right? Like it's that's that's life, man. Like if it's not, but like life ain't fraudulent. Like that's just life. No, nah, I mean he's a fraud. Okay, you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> 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 uh, 